the many ways and reasons your nervous system might be crying out for help is what we are exploring on today's show here at the Lotox Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. This is Alex Stewart, your host. Today's show 315 and I want to welcome you if you are listening live this week of publication because it is a brand new year and a brand new season. We have 48 shows ahead of us this year and I am so excited to have you listening with me. If you're new, there's a lot catching up to do. We've done 314 shows before this one and I urge you to head to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and check out all the different categories. If you're new to the Lotox Life, it's a way of living that allows space for everybody to have a level of interpretation of what it means to you personally, as well as to wherever you are right now time and money constraints, uh, topics that are more important to you than another person's topics uh, that they want to work on and make change in. And that for me is really, really important when we're trying to create change for ourselves, for our health and for our beautiful planet that we all get to call home. So leading a low-tox life is looking at food, body, home, mind and planet health as we all strive to do our best uh, day by day and to nourish ourselves and look after our own health as a priority because if we ain't healthy, there's no amount of help we can give anyone else or the planet uh, if we are stuck in survival mode, which brings me to talk about this first show of the year with the wonderful Jessica Maguire. Uh, And I have simply named the show Repairing the Nervous System as she names her incredibly generous social channels where she educates on this topic daily, physiotherapist by trade, but really has honed in uh, very deeply on nervous system health, nervous system repair, and the many ways that a lack of nervous system health can play out in an individual. And I don't doubt that you're going to be listening to some of these things or joining Jess on her Instagram and starting to go, oh, okay, maybe I don't need to supplement my way out of this. Maybe I actually need to do some nervous system work or, of course, talking to your healthcare practitioner, seeing how today's information might integrate into whatever plans you have uh, or you're working on for your health this year. I know for me, having been through SIRS, Uh, not entirely being out of it, doing work on my nervous system, looking at vagal tone and ensuring uh, I build uh, a healthy and flexible nervous system. So the idea is not to be never stressed and always relaxed. And we talk about that in today's show. Uh, It's very, very powerful to start this work. So I'm very excited to kick into that show in just a little minute. Uh, I am thrilled to welcome back Oz Climate as our major sponsor this year. You know from perhaps having listened to previous shows uh, how powerful 
uh, having a dehumidifying program in your house is to preventing mold, especially if you live somewhere humid or if you live in a small house where there's lots of cooking and a few people in there. And so there's like excess humidity just from living. Uh, and perhaps if you live in an older style place or a place that has a shady wing where there's not much sunlight in a particular part of the house, having a good dehumidifier is gold. Uh, having an air purifier is also gold if you live in a city or uh, in an agricultural context where you might have neighbours who are using uh, agricultural chemicals, unfortunately. Um, sometimes they have to or they're making that choice. So we can protect ourselves with our indoor air with Winix air purifiers. So you have those wonderful appliances and this is for the Aussies, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Uh, but I do have some great plans for international offers this year. So stay tuned. Um, and you have 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE. And if you don't know whether you need uh, a big dehumidifier, a little one, or what type of filter you need, depending on whether it's mold or dust or pets you're dealing with, give them a buzz or pop them a line on their website, Oz Climate, and they will guide you through so that you get the perfect thing for you. And our first low-tox swaps offer is a wonderful one from BioFirst. And these guys uh, had a hugely popular offer with us last year. And what I love is this is available for our American listeners as well uh, as they ship internationally. So you have until the last uh, day of the first week of Feb. So you have a little while to make the most of this, but we are theming it around getting your kids started for the school year with genuine natural remedies that support their immune systems. We all know when they're all thrown back into that bucket with a million children running around uh, and all the fabulous germs that they carry with them, that they can be a tendency towards start of the year sniffles, viruses, who knows what, what's roaming around. So you can get the BioFirst Kids Remedies set and save $20 off the first the full price. So it's a super versatile kit. It answers all those growing uh, mishaps, red, irritated skin, cuts, sniffles, sensitive skin. You actually look after all of it. So what's in that pack is an ultra-sensitive skin rescue lotion, this is fantastic if you've got kids who have eczema, psoriasis, dermatitis, or if you do for that matter, steal it from the kids. Uh, the Self-Heal Salve, which is a brilliant SOS uh, uh, first aid cream. Uh, the Kids Manuka Soother Syrup that my son absolutely loves. Uh, and a Kids Manuka Defense Oral Spray. Uh, which is also a fantastic product. We, we used that a couple of years ago quite liberally during a certain time. Uh, so that is what's on offer, and you get $20 off that kit. So all the details are in the show notes. Um, head to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast, click on today's show, and you'll be able to see all the products, click through, and uh, know how to get them because you have to go through a link. All right, that's it for me. Uh, enjoy making those low-tox swaps if they are working for you uh, to, um, or rather if you need to make those swaps right now. I loved doing our listener survey, which I've also included 
in today's show notes. Uh, I'd love for you to take a minute and let me know your thoughts. It was so great to see BioFirst and OzClimate coming up again and again as offers that people uh, redeemed last year and really found use from. Uh, and I just like bringing you those often. So they're back. Enjoy. And of course, now enjoy this brilliant roller coaster of a conversation where we explore all things nervous system. And I hope to leave you feeling a little clearer on just how powerful paying attention to our nervous system health is for our overall health and sense of vitality throughout the day and throughout life. Enjoy. Hello, Jess. How are you doing? Hi, Alex. I'm really well. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. And we are talking about the nervous system today. Ironically, just before we hit record, we were also talking about our puppy retrievers who aren't necessarily synonymous with nervous system health. (laughs) And we were having a good giggle about that, uh, which I think is so fabulous because often we follow people online or, you know, we think, oh gosh, they're educating on the nervous system. So they're calm all the time. Um, But what I learned from you in your wonderful talk when we were both speaking at TEDx recently is that it's not about calm all the time. And it's actually about the flexibility of the nervous system and the ability to jump into stress states out of them relatively easily afterwards. That's the gold we are chasing because life is not always calm. Certainly not with retrievers anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to know, you're a physio by background. What did the nervous system, was it a, a, a cornerstone of your studies as a physiotherapist, do you guys spend a lot of time on that? Or was it something that there was like a little mention, but you started to realize in practice and beyond just how powerful working on that nervous system is? Yeah, it's a good question. I started out before I studied physiotherapy, I did a Bachelor of Health Science. And so that was a great first degree to do, to look at a range of different things. But um, yeah, particularly get, getting to know the nervous system. And without realizing it, I was really looking into a lot of the subjects that was was to do with the vagus nerve. So that mm. was particularly um, looking at electrocardiograms in the heart, um, which we know relates to the health of the vagus nerve. I was looking a lot at metabolic biochemistry in the gut, which mm. we also know is playing a role in the nervous system. But when I started studying physiotherapy, um, what was complex to understand is when people's pain becomes chronic, it's not necessarily that pain is linear. It's not necessarily about tissue damage anymore. It's to do with emotions. It's to do with stress. It's to do with our thoughts about what we believe is wrong as well. And so I began to look through a different lens that, okay, well, maybe this approach of just looking at things from a biomedical point of view doesn't serve people well, particularly Mm. when it's chronic. I mean, it's great for acute things, right? We can go and get antibiotics if we need them or we can have surgeries that save our lives. But it doesn't answer a lot of questions like chronic pain, IBS, Um, And really what I would come to say was the main patients that I used to treat 
was um, an imbalanced nervous system. And so Mm -hmm. I guess I was introduced to this concept and it took me, I would say, probably 15 years of clinical practice to really get my deep understanding of seeing that whole picture. Mm. Um, But it was always something I, I knew was playing a bigger part than what we see on the surface when a patient would come in. So they would say, oh, I've got this pain again. And then you'd hear more of their story once, you know, you started working on them and it would unfold of what was going on in their life. And there would Mm. be, you know, these underlying stresses. So I was deeply curious about, I want to know what that is as a really good framework. And I really want to work at that root cause level, not just treating the pain. Yeah, so powerful. And I found um, it really interesting to pay attention to nervous system health and and tone the vagus nerve and give myself some love in that space, how, um, how much of an impact it can have. Like funny story, so my husband and I sleep um, with our own um, doonas because he gets hotter than me and so we've realised that we need two separate ones. But what that also meant was we weren't going to sleep hugging anymore um uh and not tmi don't worry it's not going anywhere weird um and i was really frazzled a couple of weeks ago my dog was having me tear my hair out with like just being busy around me while i was trying to work and i was like i just need calm and i didn't want to work on myself i wanted to co-work i needed hugs uh and so i just made like an effort to just go to bed hugging go to sleep hugging and I noticed my resting heart rate lowered, like because I've got my Ura ring, within the first sort of 20 minutes of being asleep. It was in the oh, low 50s. Amazing. And, you know, just so we talk about IBS and we're getting all the supplements, even if you're going to the naturopath and not even a doctor, whatever, and we're attacking it biomechanically um, when maybe you need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, I mean, there's you so know, much of the science. Maybe you need to that. sing and be joyful and uh, or dive yourself into the ocean. And I think that's what's so powerful about what you're teaching, Jess, is just widening the lens of what health actually looks like. And it's not always nitpicking symptoms and stool tests. And it's often, um, or, you know, nitpicking the pinch in your shoulder that won't go away. It's often a much broader conversation if we're willing to have it, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think this is where we can go from, as I said, that biomedical model to a biopsychosocial model. Mm. So the biological matters, the psychological matters, but social environmental factors matter just as much. But I think we don't talk about them. So Mm. it's things like what you said. I mean, there's so much science with touch and and that co-regulation from a hug. Um, You know, we can retune our nervous system by being around another grounded person when we're really stressed. Mm. But I think there's a lot of narrative around, um, well, I think it's that it's a hyper-independent Type yeah. of, you know, way that we're encouraging health and community matters. You know, mm. that is so important how the sense of belonging you feel you have if you're in a 
segregate, if you feel marginalized because you're in a um, minority group, you know, mm. all of those things play a really big part. But I think, I think like the biomedical model fits inside that biopsychosocial model. But I think we need to keep that, as you said, conversation broad to talk about those things as well. Yeah, big time. Um, and and so tell me about stress flexibility. Like what, what's the 101 explanation of what that looks like in a healthy person and um, and how we know we might not have it? Sure. I think it helps to have a little bit of an understanding, like a framework of the nervous system so people can yeah, let's do get it. a bit of a felt sense. So one way to look at it is thinking of let's go with the window of tolerance. So there's a few frameworks we can use, but we'll draw on the window of tolerance because this is a nice, easy one to begin with. But what we can look at is when we are in a regulated state where we don't necessarily feel calm all the time, Mm -hmm. but we would say we are flexible, Mm -hmm. adaptable. So let's say you had to go to a meeting and your car wouldn't start, Mm. you could still think, okay, what can I do? I'll call an Uber, get there that way. I'll call such and such, you know. So you can figure this out later. Yeah. Yeah. Your thoughts would be coherent, not like so scattered that you couldn't think and not so spacey that you, you know, couldn't decide what to do. And your energy would be relatively stable. But within that, there can be ups and downs. You know, you might feel nervous, Now, it's in this state where we um, would say we might be in our flow state, we might feel calm, we might Mm. feel um, playful. But what can happen is as we start to experience stress, um, we'll come to the top edge of that window. And if the stress pushes us so far, then we might move above that window where our nervous system becomes hyper aroused. And we would say we've moved into our sympathetic nervous system, which mm. is a bit like putting the accelerator down. Yeah. So this, this is like trying to mobilize us. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can feel that. Like it's pretty obvious when we've got the sensations in our body of heat and tension and our heart's beating fast, our thoughts are racing, things like that. Um, so we used to just look at this nervous system as being like two parts, accelerator, brake, and then the brake would take us back inside the window. But we know that's limited and that there's actually a third state and some people actually undercope when it comes to stress. Mm-hmm. And so instead of moving above the window, they move below the window and drop down into a state of hypoarousal um, and they can experience numbness vagueness they might shut down or freeze you know can't make a choice um this is an energy conserving state and so it's a little bit like pulling the handbrake on when you're driving in the car instead of using your foot pedal to slow down and so Ah. come to like a really yeah yeah stop and everything just goes so signs that you may be not um, having the flexibility is that you're spending prolonged periods of time in either that sympathetic state where you've got anxiety, anger, can't switch off, insomnia, often digestive issues, 
chronic tension, aches and pains, mm-hmm. um, or it can be that you're stuck down in that hypoarousal state where you feel um, more of that chronic sense of hopelessness, helplessness. There can be extreme procrastination, withdrawal, you know, moving away from your friends. It can look like chronic fatigue and burnout as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's. It, it's not to say that we will never move into fight or flight if our nervous system is healthy because fight or flight is healthy, mm. but it's sort of only designed to be around 10 to 20 minutes and then we'd recover. Yeah. But a flexible nervous system really can match what's happening outside of us with the correct activation inside. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So basically tiger gets sick of chasing us, can't find us behind the tree, gets bored, runs away. We go back to the camp with the lovely uh, game that we've caught uh, to go and barbecue with our mates. And half an hour later, we're laughing and singing a traditional song by the fire while our dinner cooks and we've forgotten the tiger entirely and it's not in our body anymore, that chase. Exactly. Yes. Totally being able to discharge that stress activation and recover. Mm. So that night we're not going to bed going, but what if the tiger's here? What if it's coming? What's that? Like that whole thing. And I think those old primal adages um, really help because... It is that basic and then you can apply it to modern life. Oh, but what about if my boss emails me tomorrow morning? If we're having those thoughts, then we're stuck, right? Exactly. And I think Hmm. the problem is, you know, we are still responding as though an email is a tiger. And yes, why people get so... (laughs) The email is not the tiger, people. It's not. (laughs) Um, But the reality is, is it's our modern tiger and we need to recognise that that's just not a permanent stress um uh, and if an email makes you a little hot under the collar with the contents of it it shouldn't be affecting our evening meal with our families and our ability to relax and if it is then we know we've got some work to do correct yeah I think what we can see is that the process of what we call neuroception is how we detect if people places environments are safe dangerous or life-threatening that's happening below the level of conscious awareness Mm. so it's not in our thinking brain it's in the what we would call the survival brain further down and so we don't choose to move into these states um you know our top down beliefs like coming from that thinking brain down into the survival brain and down into the body do play a part however what really changes neuroception is what we've experienced in our life and Mm. how we felt in those times because the brain and nervous system don't just passively receive information they're actively reshaping themselves from what you experience and those experiences will be received differently for each person depending on their genetics what's already happened in their life their values Again, it's the biopsychosocial factors that contribute to how we um, recover from adversities. And some people, their nervous system gets more, that gets hypersensitized to cues of threat Mm. or cues of threat that are similar. And so if we have had prolonged periods of time at work that is stressful, we are more likely to get those emails and respond with um, probably disregard or moving outside of our window of tolerance. Mm. 
But the beauty of the nervous system is that we can relearn how yeah. to come back to a regulated state again and not to be set off by those cues again. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I definitely know from um, uh, going through mould illness and that just made me so sick. It took ages to realise how significant a part of the healing the nervous system healing was going to be because once you've been in genuine traumatic danger um, where you literally feel like you're going to die um, and that looks very different for very a huge range of experiences that people go through in life, um, some far more horrific than having a water-damaged building that you're living in. Um, but the nervous system kind of can't tell. That's where the, it's all relative to the person really comes in, right? If that's the most danger you've ever been in, it still puts a significant imprint on you. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't work to, um, it, what what are we working to do exactly, Jess, there? Are we working to restore flexibility, restore a baseline sense of safety? Is that what we're wanting to yeah. do in those states? I think what we can look at with that window of tolerance that I spoke about mm. is that it can it can change in its size. So if you yeah. imagine, and and I just want to touch on something that you said when when we think about what's trauma, what's not trauma, you know, I I couldn't, I don't think anybody has that answer because mm. I think it's unique to what our survival brain detects at the time yeah. is the threat. And if you were thinking, if your survival brain detects, oh, my gosh, I'm so sick, I'm going to die, you know, that can be just as significant as somebody else having a horrific accident or, you know, and we hear people that do experience um, these scenes that would be completely overwhelming but through other people being there and being able to get rid of that or move or do something they, their nervous system returns to being fine. So mm. I think it's helpful to first of all look at stress and trauma on a continuum Yeah, because neurobiologically that really it's still creating a similar process in our mind-body system. It's just that with traumatic experiences, which it, it is more likely to be trauma when we feel helpless and powerless mm. and lack agency and don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah, like having something that no health professionals can help you through. <laughs> was, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the biggest things. And so what we'll see is that there is an activation of both that sympathetic activation really in high, high levels. And at the same time, there's an activation of that hypoarousal together. So mm -hmm. it's that energy that will dysregulate a nervous system and then the person has a smaller window of tolerance so they're often outside of it but they'll continue to respond to what we might might just be a challenge with that ongoing activation in their system mm -hmm. of that strong sympathetic or that strong energy that's like putting on the handbrake and so mm -hmm. people can oscillate between the two they can spend, you know, long periods of time in, in up and down or they can be in freeze where they feel both, you know, this, oh, my gosh, I'm so stressed but I can't do anything. And so the goal really is to be able to, we can look at it in a few ways, discharge that act 
activation in our body. Yeah. And we learn to do that through when we come back inside the window. So you might imagine that when you face a challenge, then you learn, okay, yes, this is a stressful situation, but I'm going to teach my nervous system a new way to respond. That doesn't mean I automatically move above or below the window. And in doing that, or if we get stressed, being able to bring that back a little bit, in doing that, we'll often feel like this sense of relief in the body or the breath becomes full, or it's a little bit like a, oh, and it just comes Mm. down a little bit. And so we keep practicing that over and over again, and then we won't automatically move out of that window when we face challenges. We may still notice that our you know, we, we move up and down in our um, nervous system activation, but it doesn't mean we get stuck in these periods for long, long yeah. times. And that's the biggest thing that um, we we help people with is to, is to teach the system a new way of responding because trauma technically imprints that response in what we call the implicit memory system, which is down in that survival brain outside of conscious awareness. So say if you were like, if I said to you, Alex, when did you first ride your bike without training wheels? Mm. And you might see the image and you might see a parent or a sibling or your bike or where you were. Mm -hmm. That's an explicit memory that's up in our thinking brain. But the fact that you can jump on a bike today and just ride it without thinking about it, well, that's an implicit memory. It's implicit to you yeah well this is how our nervous system learns so it's a little bit like learning a new language learning to ride a bike learning to drive a car we need to repeat and form these new connections in our brain and nervous system that show when there are challenges it's not the same Mm. as that previous encounter we can learn something new and respond with the appropriate action but it takes time and it takes it takes work yeah, it does take work. And what are some of the ways that that work can um, look? Because if you jump online, you see uh, DNRS, you see Gupta program, you see like all sorts of different um, things that we can do. If you start to focus on the vagus nerve, and I want to ask you quite specifically what that is and, and where it sits within the nervous system, Um, there are some almost painfully obvious and easy things we can do as well that don't involve spending hundreds of dollars on all sorts of different programs and hours and hours and hours of, of work. And I know you guys have an amazing program. That's very, um, uh, valuable to people as well. I was saying you you had a scholarship program as well. Yes, Incredible. Uh, so generous. Um, and so, like, I feel like we we all get confused and, and can we then end up externalising too much and handing the power over when there are some really simple things we can do to bring that power within us as well? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, absolutely. I think what it starts off with before we before getting to any tools is having the framework and the recognising in yourself when you're moving between different states and what Mm. those states are. And that comes down to interoception, which we spoke about a little bit before we got started. So interoception is, we can think about as our eighth sensory system. 
So we know we've got our five senses of taste and smell and what we can see. But then we've also got proprioception. So mm-hmm. that's the position of our body in space, yep. um, you know, where our muscles and joints are. And then we've got our vestibular system, which has to do with balance. And then our eight sensory system we can look at as interoception, which is the sensory system where we notice and understand sensations inside our body. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a really fascinating area of research. And the vagus nerve is so important when it comes to interoception. Now, what we can see that happens with that dysregulation where we're spending long periods of time in anxiety or that shutdown, which may look a little bit like depression or is depression for some people, is that we know that the area in the brain that notices these sensations and brings them into our awareness, which we call the insula, Mm. That's sort of like a integration hub deep in the middle of the brain that changes. So people who tend to be depressed, it's been shown that they will have lower activity in the insula following chronic and traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. So they can't really, it's hard for them to notice these bodily sensations. It's hard for them to tune into what's happening and so that it's almost like that emotional numbness is wow. what's happening. And, mm. and it makes sense because if things are really painful for us, that's an adaption. So we mm. don't have to feel. We're protecting ourselves. Exactly. So it makes yeah. sense. But on the other hand, what research has found is that people who are anxious, they have more connectivity between the insula and the fear circuitry in the brain. So let's say you notice a sensation in your body like a tightness through the chest and you that's reached the insular cortex. It's almost like there's an increased neural firing to the fear circuitry that says this is bad, something's wrong, danger, Mm. and then this appraisal of things are going to be terrible happens. So we need to sort of get to know, first of all, how we respond. Are we more hypersensitive to sensations? Do we tend to dissociate from our body? Do we tend to spend more time above the window of tolerance or more time below the window? Because a lot of people say, well, what's the best tool to use? But they'd be different for every person depending on where they fall. So I think getting to know these states and feeling it and, and developing interoception is so important because when we practice tools of interoception, what happens is we learn to either get better at noticing sensations, which helps people who um, tend to be hyposensitive. And then it also can help us to uncouple this story from sensation. Mm. So we learn to recognize sensations in the present moment Now, when we practice interoception, it's actually the vagus nerve, which I know you want to get to. Yeah, that sounds good. It's what's sending those signals up from our organs and inside the body up to the insula. And when we practice and we get it working well, there's a connection coming back down from the insula, which will regulate our nervous system via the vagus nerve. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like this loop and we we can influence that. 
and we can change our physiology. So it's really amazing. Yeah, and you start to then see when we come back to that pinch, chronic pinch in the shoulder or the IBS, exactly how um, taking the holistic view um, is critical to actually um, getting to the root of the, the issues and starting to actually release those issues. Yes, and mm. IBS has now been reclassified um, so that it is a condition of between the gut and brain connection is what mm. they're saying now. It's not just a functional gut disorder. And I think mm. that's really important because a lot of people say, well, what about what I eat? But a lot of the research shows what's more important is that we, when we are not in the state where we're regulated, this process of peristalsis or how food moves through the intestines mm. changes. So if we're inside our window, we get these nice rhythmical contractions of our intestines, a little bit like squeezing a tube of toothpaste, you know, yep. it pushes it along. But if we are outside of our window of tolerance, we don't that gets dysregulated. Mm. And then we get stretching and we get spasms and distension and pain. And this is why I love looking at regulating the nervous system because you really then change things like gut motility and it's more, you know, looking at that root cause again rather than thinking, oh, well, maybe if I don't eat this or don't eat that. And that can be really important too. You know, there can be a range of things. But I think we often miss sometimes the big picture. Like if somebody Mm. is chronically anxious and we're looking at their diet, what's going to be more effective at helping them improve? Yeah. And if you have an external toxin that's impacting your nervous system like mold, uh, I can say before I knew it was mold, I can't tell you how many stool tests and gut supplements and different diets I tried. And I actually just needed to not live in a moldy house. <laughs> and boom, there was my digestion back because I wasn't under this chronic nervous system stress um, that was causing all of those issues for me. That It's going to be different for everybody. It's a very personal tale. But yes. um, it's to say, again, like, if there's something you're going to get out of today's show and you have chronic issues and you're not looking at that nervous system piece, um, it could well be time. Exactly. Beautifully mm. said. Yeah. Um, okay, vagus nerve. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 101? So, yes, let's 101 it. Just in okay. case, I always like to go with a beginner's mind. There's nothing yes. worse than when you're listening to a show and you're like, oh, they're talking about that thing again. And I've never actually really known <laughs> what it is. What do they mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> the vagus nerve is one of what we call our cranial nerves. And the cranial nerves really run between the brain and the body. Um, so it runs from the brainstem and it travels down. So that it's got two branches and we call the ventral branch the part that really innovates everything above our diaphragm. Mm. So this is involved with the connection to our heart, the lungs. So we can see when we look at its anatomy, the role that it plays or its function. So for instance, we know that part of the vagal, um, the vagus nerve slows us down, the vagal break that goes to our heart. So when we're stressed, it really does slow down the beats of our heart and we regulate again. Mm. And we know our breathing will change when we move between different states. So, for example, in the 
when we're above the window, our breath might be up like this, and that's going to be quite shallow and um, short and not really give us the breath that we need. Then we have another branch, the dorsal vagal branch, and that primarily innovates everything under the diaphragm. So it touches nearly every organ and goes all the way to our colon. And that's in in size, it's comparable to the spinal cord. Mm. Um, And, you know, we know so much about the spinal cord, but the vagus nerve is something that is not talked about as, as much. But the the wonderful thing about the vagus nerve is that 80% of its fibers are carrying information from the body up to the brain. And we tend to think of what's happening with us in a very top-down way, like our brain is the boss in charge Mm. of our body, but that's not really accurate. So we just spoke about interoception and... A lot of that information coming from our body is influencing our thoughts, is influencing um, the choices we make. You know, we we have those butterflies in our tummy. That makes us take powerful actions. We feel warm-hearted or we feel broken-hearted. You know, they're all very powerful things. So whilst the vagus nerve plays an important role in our emotional health because of its job in balancing our nervous system. It also has an equally important role in regulating our organs. So mm. we spoke a little bit about the gut. It plays a major role in the gut. Yeah. And then we have another part of it which connects from our heart up to our face, which we call the social engagement system. Mm-hmm. So it has branches that run into the muscles to do with speech and communication. So although we might think somebody's calm and they're talking in a soft, <laughs> whispery voice, yeah. <laughs> it's actually it's actually prosody and changes in rhythm and pitch that tell us somebody's state. So if you think about a parent with a child or a baby, they will mm. start singing in a sing-songy voice yeah. like this <laughs> because they want to, or we might talk to our retrievers like this. Yeah, yeah. Because it's bringing that co-regulation in and that's mm. exactly what parents do. But we'll also see um, on somebody's face when they're in that window of tolerance and their social engagement system is active, there'll be expression in the upper face. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people who smile with their eyes, they make us feel warm and connected because seeing crow's feet, which I know that. (laughs) Loud and proud. (laughs) I've got plenty of them. We know that they are, you know, what make other people get a sense of warmth when they see our face. And when we're Mm. smiling and these are active, it is actually having a regulatory effect on our system as well. Mm-hmm. And finally, and that, wow, that's like a big um, cheerleader move for community there, right? Oh, this is mm. the importance of mm. just, you know, when people go into that those dysregulated states, they often withdraw. But one of the best things we can do is go and get a coffee, see the barista, have a chat, smile, connect, you know, just go to where people are so that we get that interaction. That has such a powerful effect on our social engagement system. And the final part is of that social engagement system. The vagus nerve also connects to the middle ear muscles. Mm. So when we're in this regulated state, 
we can really hone in on the sound of the human voice, which is that mid-frequency sound. Mm. You know, you can be at a party, you can really listen in just to one person amongst all that noise. But once we move outside of our window of tolerance, those middle ear muscles change and we will hear more low frequency sound like the tiger walking behind us in the Mm. jungle Mm. because, you know, it's like a stick snapping or something. And so this is where people who are dysregulated struggle to learn, they struggle to negotiate, they're not going to have good conversations. Mm -hmm. So the vagus nerve has huge implications on our life, how we connect with other people, the how we feel and also the health of our organs um and when we say you know that mind body connection it really is the epicenter of it um there's other there's other mind body connections too like hormonal systems the immune system but the vagus nerve is one where you know particularly after chronic and traumatic stress it's so important because it is when we have our when our vagus nerve kicks in, this is what brings us back inside our window of tolerance. Yeah. So it's very, very important. Super important. And it's such a fascinating space. Uh, and um I as a as a nerd, I can't just have something wrong with me and just go, okay, I'll just fix it and then move on. Like I then become a global authority on the subject. <laughs> it's just quite annoying, but also at the same time. But what I've found really interesting is the neuroimmunobiological work being done now where we're looking at how um, the immune system affects neurology, how neurology affects the immune system. I'm like, that could make something like mold illness, a chicken or the egg scenario where it's like, did I have an immune dysfunction from genetic or other factors um, that then cause the mold to not be recognized as a toxin and grow in the body that then impacted the nervous system? Or was I really stressed in that period of my life that then impacted my immune system to not recognize the toxin? I just think we have to stay so open. Yes. It right can now. totally go both ways. And yeah. there's a lot of really interesting research on long COVID that's looking at this. Exactly. Exact because so, I, I see mold illness and long COVID as very similar um cousins yeah absolutely and it all is looking at inflammation and also what I think is not probably spoken about enough is it, it it's coming into mainstream science now but it's taken a long time is things like the immune system with the gut mm. and how that can cause anxiety and depression because the it, it it can be a local issue, but then it becomes systemic, and that can create inflammation in the microglial cells in the brain. Yeah, and then that's where things like anxiety and depression come in. So you're totally right that it's chicken or egg, but also this is where I think you know we don't have all the answers yet. This is such a new area of research, but I know there's good science to show you know. Um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, other mm. types of and syndromes, you got to think the name has come up. It doesn't mean that they know what the actual issue is. It's just oh, a- exactly. A syndrome is not a disease. It's not a treat, diagnose, cure situation. It's it, syndrome just means a whole bunch of people are still talking about it, trying to figure it out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's where a lot of these chronic things fit really well under that okay biopsychosocial model, but it doesn't 
always have an answer. There's not a solution. But this is where we can look at things that, you know, we know that if, if you were chronically unwell and at home, not doing the things that you love, not connecting with people, it is likely to change the way that your vagus nerve is functioning if the immune system is affected because they just talk so closely to each other. And this is why with stress, people get more pain, like inflammation is one of those pathways. Um, And I think what I've found, you know, talking about seeing that bigger picture is that we can't separate these systems as much Mm. as that was the way it was taught. We need to look at immune, endocrine and nervous system are all so closely hand in hand. They're influencing the cardiovascular, the digestive, even the reproductive systems. Oh, yeah. And then we get the whole picture of what's going on with somebody. Mm, 100%. Ah, so, so good. So important. Um, okay. So let's look at um, some a term that comes up a lot and you've kind of already talked about it, but poor vagal tone mm-hmm. um, and what that looks like and what we could actually, what are some of our baby step moves um, to to move into a bit of an exercise routine for the old yeah. vagus nerve? Because it's so easy, some of the things you can do, and they're so lovely to do as well. You know, you think about singing your favourite song on the radio and you think, God, that's what I've been prescribed. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes, music is so powerful. Um mm. So low vagal tone basically means where the function of our vagus nerve isn't um, as good as it can be. We This is to do with what I was talking about with the vagal break, the branch that comes yeah. down onto the heart. So basically if we were to look at rest, we have the vagal break working on our heart rate. So it's a little bit like at rest. We're riding a bicycle downhill and we're keeping the brake engaged Mm -hmm. just a little bit so we don't go too fast so that brings our heart rate let's just say roughly around 70 beats per minute I know that's not accurate for everybody yeah but if that dampening effect wasn't there so this evolved more recently than other parts of the vagus nerve it would we'd beat our heart would beat around 90 to 100 beats per minute Mm -hmm. so we've always got this dampening effect and that coming in is what allowed humans to work collaboratively, work together, you know, regulate more. But what happens is when we have chronic stress, the message that's always being sent to the vagal break is come off, come off, come off, come off. And so when it when it comes off a little bit, we might feel more excitement, energy, play, motivation, passion. And that's a sign of a healthy nervous system. Mm. But when it's chronically off, when we face a challenge, imagine we're riding downhill, the brakes come off, it, we're going to go too fast and that's when we're going to experience anxiety. Mm. So you could think of like low vagal tone as that brake not being on enough and it's right. it's go too fast. So like you know how some sports people, I, I, we play tennis, we love tennis and Tennis is a very mental game. Yes. Um, and it's also a gladiator in the arena. There's no one to help you kind of game. Yeah. Um, and so some people completely lose the plot when they're down a couple of breaks or, um, you know, they hit an error and it really um, 
just they you can see they're completely dysregulated. And some will then be able to snap straight back into the next point, let it go and move on. But some will end up tanking the whole match because they've hit one forehand into the net that they didn't like and they can't let it go. Is that an example of poor vagal tone? It can be. Um, I think what can happen there if we, okay, so let's look at play. Mm. That's a combination of that sympathetic nervous system energy yeah. combined with the vagal break. So yeah, that's what got me thinking about state. that example. Exactly. Yeah. It's a blended state of those two things. Now, if <clears throat> if we are have a healthy have healthy vagal tone, we will be able to move into play and feel that, you know, come in. Um, and it won't mean that we have move into fight or flight or have adrenaline and cortisol released in in large amounts. But what we've got to look at is on the day when somebody is um, playing a certain sport or they're, you know, in that situation and the pressure's really high, like this is pushing them, you know, Mm. what do they have access to cues of safety? Now, I remember listening to Kelly Slater. He won the Hawaiian pipeline. He was, it was the day, two days before his 50th birthday. Yeah. His competitors were half his age and he won. So what happened was he said the morning of his competition, he sat down with his wife and she was great for him. He said that she said, well, just keep coming back to the present moment. So if you feel yourself going, starting to think about, oh, the final, oh, this is it, I'm so close, you know, and that pressure building, getting out of contact with what's happening here and now, attention and focus going somewhere else, that would essentially throw him off. Mm. So there was also her love, her support, and he said he kept coming back to his breath and and these things. And I really thought about that and I was like, so he was feeding himself these cues of safety again and again and again, coming back to the present moment, which was engaging his vagal break over and over and over again. Yeah. And he beat people half his age, which I just think is amazing. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, in tennis, I think because it's such a long game, there's Mm. ups and downs and ups and downs and the pressure is so high, there are moments where people would the break comes off, 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 and it's off completely, but it's then how someone brings their cues of safety back, Yeah, which could be looking at their coach. It could be um, coming back to the breath, noticing the body, noticing the environment. You know, there's lots of different ways that people can do this for themselves. Some people also completely drop their head and you can mm. see that deflated, collapsed, hypoarousal response yeah. as well. And they might need something different. So, yes, it definitely can be. It doesn't, like, low vagal tone, we'd say, is where it's ongoing and chronic. Yeah. But in that situation, it can be that they've definitely moved outside their window of tolerance for sure. Mm. And and then does that mean um, that one, that's a sign one would need to work on that flexibility, that ability to move if, into those awful moments when you feel all the stress but also then go okay well that was one point yes and this is a new point learning to so this is where I think when we talk about using techniques for the vagus nerve and there are so many that we can use which are great but what is going to help the most is the ones 
is, is things that we can use in the heat of the moment. Mm. So when we are actually stressed, I, I talk about it in the same way as going to the gym. You know, yeah. if you're just going to do light weights, you're not going to grow new muscle because you'll adapt. So yeah. stress isn't bad for us if we get to recover fully. So if we go to that edge of our comfort zone and we are feeling, oh, this is a challenge, mm. you know, you might need to give a big talk or you play a game of tennis, but then you manage to bring yourself back down a little bit and then, you know, you can feel that energy going up and down. That's where you teach your survival brain that you can respond and you can cope with stress activation and you have choice and agency. Um, And then you won't, you know, really go into those states where the vagal break is off completely. Mm. Um, And I think this is the most important thing because for neuroplasticity, there has to be a challenge or we won't learn anything new. You know, it's like, if it's, if we're just doing comfortable, like these, it's still great to do those comfortable practices daily if people want to do that. But where you get your real bang for your buck is we we can talk about it like Goldilocks, you know, the book. Yeah. Yeah. Good example. Too easy. Then Mm. no change. If it's something we push ourselves where we're completely, you know, totally scared like learning to surf and going out in four foot waves well that's mm. not going to help our learning but if we're right in that sweet spot in the middle where there's a challenge and we're using techniques in those times that's when we'll make the biggest difference mm. so there's a lot to be said for actually putting challenge in our way often uh, in this very comfortable convenient modern world right <laughs> Challenge is good. Challenge is really good. It's more that um, when we are chronically dysregulated, you know, if someone has had a period of intense stress in their life, um, that is going to look different than somebody who hasn't just experienced that. Mm. Yeah, wow. (laughs) And and so let's talk about then um, uh, building that healthy break. Um, and, and and what that looks like on a day-to-day and, and just some of those simple things we can we can start to work into the day. Sure. So I think we can look at having a daily practice of something that we do, mm. and this will be unique to everybody. Um, some people love to use the breath, and we know the breath is great because we um, can really look at the vagal break working with a deeper breath, it's a way we can consciously influence the vagus nerve. Yeah. Um, we, for some people it's to do with how, like, like for some other people, this could be play, like bringing mm. play into their life, particularly if there is that where you notice, oh, I'm really like <laughs> get anxious easily. Yeah. So this can be anything. Like some people love to join a choir. Some people love to, um, like learn to surf. So looking at a daily practice of something we can do and whether that's tuning into the bodily sensations that we notice um, as well, like the interoception stuff we've spoken about. Mm. But then what I would say is having an understanding of your nervous system and knowing what to do when you've moved into hyperarousal or hypoarousal really is the key. Yeah. Getting that change. And so, you know, for somebody who's really up in that sympathetic state, it could be 
like co-regulation. Mm-hmm. So you said reaching out to your husband, having that touch, having that hug, but it might be picking up a phone, calling a friend. It might be going for a walk in nature with a friend. For those who are really tend to, as I said, go down into hypoarousal and disconnect, then this is the time to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. That's really important. Um, you mentioned also with singing, but music, we can have a playlist of music that helps us shift between the states because music actually attunes to our nervous system like a friend would. Yeah. And it can really help with our emotional processing. Um, mm. So that means you might say, okay, well, when I'm in that activated state or anxious and can't sit still, I might put on something, okay, this is going to be cheesy, but something like Whitney Houston, mm. which is, you know, that fun, playful and and move. Get out the hairbrush. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, when we're down in that like lower, flatter stage, that could be something like London grammar or something mm. there. And then over time that can help us move back to our state. Yeah, um, those so basically like um you were absolutely correct when you were in your 20s and had that horrible breakup with that awful person and the Moby album came on or Ben Fold 5 and just screaming all the angry, angry songs. And like these things actually are therapeutic in those processes moving through. Um, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. And I think that's where we have a big reliance on talking and telling this story and sometimes it's not always the most useful thing for us because it's looking, you know, that thinking brain again is where talking um, and and thinking about things over and over, we can get a little bit stuck when our when we're outside of our window of tolerance. And what works better is body-based things that we can do because we know that a lot of that communication from the body is going to the survival brain. That's the survival brain is where we're detecting, you know, this is a threat or this is terrible or this is, you know, that's what's moving us outside of our window. And Mm. so this is where the vagus nerve is important because it's carrying that information up. Um, But, you know, really looking at like movement, movement is so powerful and that proprioceptive system, um, if we feel flat and disconnected from our body, we can do things that really help to strongly bring in where we feel our body. Yeah. Um, whether that's like statically doing that for ourselves or some people just find that strength training so beneficial, but ways weighted blankets, things like that, ways that we can reconnect with the body are so, so important. Yeah. I had a naturopath who sadly had to go back to Germany years ago, uh, but she was so ahead of her time and it was, she, there were just things she understood um, 20 years ago when I first started seeing her that I haven't seen spoken about until these very recent years, um, thanks to social media and being able to bring communities together to discuss these kinds of things. You, yes. Like in back in the day, it you, was just potluck whether you had a practitioner who could guide you through certain things. Um, and she always used to say, bring yourself back to body, dive into the ocean, get a massage, uh, go to a dance class, do something that just brings you right back into body. Um, she said one of the best things you could do is just run an ice cube around yourself, like your face, your and just it gets you back to these physical sensations. 
um, uh, and uh, reactivates you almost. I guess that's, I don't know if that's the correct way to say it, but that's certainly how yeah. it feels. Well, there's a lot with that sensory information that yeah. comes from our body. And once we can pay attention to that and reconnect, like what those survival states will take us out of the present moment and out of our bodies. So whatever we can do in our body that brings us back to that present is is definitely powerful. And that sensory information is huge. Mm. So I'm thinking, you know, if people are listening to us live, it's a fresh year, um, we're looking ahead and and people often do a little bit of a mental cleanup of what mm. they'd like to stop, start, keep, kind of, you know, the traffic light system. Yes. And someone might be out there thinking, I just, I want to like, you know, end my relationship or I want to um, go for a new job. And, and sometimes these are absolutely the right things to do for people. Mm-hmm. But Jess, how often is actually... Um, our response and our nervous system health impacting these um, things that we're not liking right now? Or, you know, could it be our response that is actually playing a significant role in our lack of enjoyment of certain situations? Yeah. But if we worked on it, I don't know, I'm just, because we've broadened this conversation <laughs> so wide, I'm now thinking, you know, gorgeous Dr. Nicole Pereira's work and um, how she says, if you're not doing the work on yourself now, it just comes up again. Yeah. I think relationships is a massive one we can see through the lens of a nervous system. So if you imagine that you might have three different pairs of glasses for each state, this refers to what you're saying. So if we move into that sympathetic nervous system, let's say we put on a certain pair of glasses. Now, this is the state that's mobilizing us. Yeah. If we're chronically in that state, we may see in our relationships that we are prone to blame, criticize, start arguments. We might storm off. Like these are signs to recognize when we're Mm. in these states. Um, We might storm off and act out and maybe there's this chronic interrupting or demanding attention. They can all be signs of that sympathetic nervous system activation. But particularly if we are, if we think of this, seeing these outward responses, but then you follow it back and you say, hang on, okay, I really hear myself criticizing and blaming my partner. What am I recognizing internally? Like what's happening in my body? And there's a lot of anger and activation and charge and, Sitting with that, it might feel as well like there's a sense that our plate is really, really full. Yeah. How are we going to get this all done before the end of the year? Oh, my goodness. And then it gives us time. So then if we take those glasses off and come back inside our window of tolerance and we look at our partner through, well, what does it look like if I'm in a regulated state or how how would I see my partner through the, these these glasses? Maybe we are still angry. Maybe, you know, that relationship is that way. But it's also useful to look at the story that's arisen from each state because what will happen is that story follows the state that we're in. We often mm. think like, oh, yes, it's, um, you know, it's it's this is the truth of what it is exactly like this but it, in what you're saying but it, that changes depending on the state that we're in yeah so then I may see my partner in a completely different way and then 
below the window of tolerance, let's say I put on the third pair and I'm feeling really flat and um, hopeless, what I might recognize there are more stories along the lines of, oh, my, I'm, this relationship's never going to work out. Relationships just don't work out for me. I'll always be alone. This is hopeless. <laughs> it's, it's very much a giving up story. Yeah, yeah. And we may stonewall, isolate, um, withdraw, or we may ghost people, not, not answer them. And so once we use the tools to bring ourselves back into the window and then we say, okay, let's look at it through this, this pair of glasses, what's really happening, what is the story now, that's where we can really make our best decisions. But chronic anxiety and burnout, we don't make probably our best decisions from those states because the story will reflect that. Um, and it can be the same with our work. You know, if uh, we talk about it in terms of neurobiological limits and people tend to be boom and bust and mm. continually override their limits, that can look one way or they tend to be um, maybe not giving themselves the opportunity to reach what they really could do because if shame stops them from, you know, even getting to that state of reaching their potential. And so I think it's helpful to recognise that if we're overriding our neurobiological limits, that can come from a story of there's something wrong with me rather than there's something wrong with this situation as mm, well. Such a good distinction. So I think mm. being able to tune into our state, our story, thoughts, feelings, and all of those from all the three different states, we are so empowered then to see reality rather yeah. than, you know, just sensations overwhelming us and thoughts running on autopilot. Mm. And I think I want to add something if I can. Of course. <laughs> um, there's something wrong with me versus there's something wrong with this situation we could be adding in there's something wrong with that person as well, yes. couldn't we? Yeah, because the blame factor is just as prevalent as the shame factor. Yeah, and we actually do these exercises in our programs in couples where we get people to, you know, explain something hard and, and maybe interrupt and see what happens. And it's amazing how some people being interrupted or ignored or not listened to they will internalize it as, oh, shame, what I've got to say must be boring, you know, and they have more of that collapse. Mm. But other people in the group got angry and were like, that's not okay not to listen. <laughs> so we can, it can go in or it can go out. And I think yeah. it's helpful to see our patterns and see what's happening within us rather mm. than um, externally looking for that solution because What's been shown in interoception research is that the less connected we are to our inner world, the more we rely on the outer world to get our sense of self. Mm -hmm. So it's having a balance between noticing what's happening inside, noticing what's happening outside, but then not also taking action on that too. Like yeah. it's helpful to have this information, but we also want to use it to help us reach our potential, to have the best relationships we can, to live the best life we can. Yeah, love it. And so I have one last question for you then. Uh, and like it's a bit of a desert island question, but if if you could share just a couple of things that you would 
that you would think that people would truly benefit from bringing into daily life this year Yes. Uh, for nervous system health, what would they be? Two things only. Okay, two things. First one would definitely be understanding the different states and be, building interoception, building mm-hmm. that awareness to say, like, this is the light bulb moment that people have where they say, oh, I'm responding this way because I'm in this state. This isn't necessarily me. So they get that space. Mm-hmm. So definitely being able to recognize the different states of the nervous system um, using interoception. And then I think the second one would be reflecting on play, like finding things that are fun and joyful. Like we focus so much on healing from the bad yeah. but I don't know if we spend as much time going well how can I bring in the fun the good the playful my passions what yeah. makes me come to life what gives me that mobilizing energy because particularly for people who are burnt out and exhausted it's because that sympathetic energy is depleted and mm-hmm. that joy and that passion and purpose is really what brings that back in yeah so such good advice more joy. Yeah. That's, that's never going to be a bad thing to recommend. No. Um, <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for your your chat today and, and for the work you do. Uh, people can find you at Repairing the Nervous System, right, on Insta. That's probably the place that you share the most. Yes. Uh, and then there's always great information about the programs and resources that you guys have on your site, which have helped so many thousands of people now. Yeah, um, and am I allowed to say there's a books in a book in the world? <laughs> yes, it's coming. Yay, it's on its way. Good, good, good. So we can look yeah. out for that this year as well. Thank you so much, Jess. Great to chat. Thank you so much, Alex. It was wonderful. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Low Talks Life.